Welcome. If you're a woman who has a sense that there's more out there for you, you're in the right place. I'm Whitney Baker, host of the Electric Ideas podcast. Somewhere along the line of working kids, life carried on, but I lost track of my truth. I'm on a reflective journey, and that's what this podcast is all about. Each week, I interview a woman who is lighting her own path and offering others hope. Before our conversation ends, we'll share a reflective question for you to explore. Sometimes all we need is a jolt, a fresh idea, an aha moment that connects us to a sense of possibility. This, my friends, is what I call an electric idea. Welcome back to Electric Ideas. I don't know about you, but conversations about the brain are endlessly fascinating to me because there's just so much to explore and learn. And what we know is always evolving. My guest today is a perfect person to ask all these brain questions, ranging from health and longevity to creativity and flow, because she's kind of seated at this intersection of neurology and integrative health. Dr. Mary Renzel is both assistant professor of neurology at Cleveland Clinic and director of pediatric multiple sclerosis and wellness of the Mellon Center of the Cleveland Clinic. She's board certified in both neurology and integrative medicine, and she's even been voted through Cleveland Magazine the best doctor in Cleveland since 2010. Dr. Renzel's current academic focus is this unique intersection of wellness, advocacy, and entrepreneurship. So she's so passionate about leveraging the power of our brain in order to invite in more peace that she founded her own company, which is called Brain Fresh, and she helps professional women manage their time in a way that's all about enhancing peace and joy. So she's got a lot to share. I know you're going to have a lot of good takeaways from this conversation with Dr. Renzel. So let's jump in. All right, Dr. Renzel, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. I'm honored. I was thinking today about the brain and I had this uncovering for myself. And I I was like, the brain to me is almost like the galaxy of the body, because I feel like we just continue to learn more but it seems like the more we learn, the more we realize how much more there is to learn. Right. It's so complex. Like I just heard a gentleman who was a a gentleman researcher who's been researching in the lab neuroscience for 50 years. And he said, he's not done. Like there's so much more to learn. He he loves his career because there's never a boring day. I'm just thinking, wow, (laughs) so true. That's fascinating and hopeful too. I feel like there's Mm -hmm. a sense, right? I agree with you. So let's start here, get right into it. You know, everybody wants to do better by their brain, but you see patients all the time. What's one thing you wish everyone considered more often when it comes to just overall brain health? I think the first thing is to acknowledge that I I feel like it's almost like a busy parent, that it's busy all day. It's already monitoring our whole body and managing our heart rate and our pulse and our our blood pressure and our, you know, our gut and our balance and our thoughts. So it's already doing so much. So if we give it one or two extra layers of support a day, I feel like it can do more for us and for the world. You know, I always say like nourish your mind, nourish the world, because I think if we, if if we realize it just needs a little support, it's an amazing organ, like we said, and there's so much we don't know, but we do know that it needs support each day. What are some of your favorite ways or ways that you would never stop where you, you know, you're one to two extra layers that you encourage mm-hmm. people to, to give themselves that layer of support? Right. Well, I mean, the good thing is the brain actually likes fun 
and connection. So there's a lot of positive things the brain needs. It needs good sleep, which is great. <laughs> it needs relaxation, which feels great. And it it loves, you know, nature or situations that we tend to call flow. You know, when you're in the flow state, you know, that's like, we're not judgmental. We're totally absorbed. You know, it needs some of those states. So the things that are really good for brains are things that are actually quite enjoyable. I'm glad you brought up flow state because something I kind of surveyed my community and a lot of people Mm -hmm. were curious about creativity and I kind of aligned that with flow state. What loosely happens, what's going on in our brain when we're achieve that flow state? Yeah, it's such a beautiful thing, right? So it's very similar to fun. It's like similar things happen in the brain during fun and flow. They are a little bit separate. But the beautiful thing about both of those states is there's no judgment. So if we're having fun, we're not usually judging ourselves, critiquing ourselves or critiquing other people or society, politics. Usually if we say, oh man, that was so fun. What's not there is judgment, which is so nice. And same thing with flow. So generally they are all positive emotional states that are present during both fun and flow. They're not the same thing, but there are a lot of similarities between the two. Some may say their flow state is fun. Some may not use that term, you know? So I like to do like crafts and paint and things. When I do that, I can get into a a flow state because I I realize, oh my gosh, it already an hour went by. You know, it's like when you lose time doing something that people say, I don't know what my flow state is. And like, where do you just get lost doing it? Where do you don't, you know, you just lose what's going on around you. Like some people it's music, some people it's art. Everybody has their own kind of set of gifts. So their flow state is probably a bit different, but I love that, that there's no judgment in either of those states. And if there is judgment, you probably aren't going to get to the fun state or the flow state, you know, so you have to kind of let it go, let the outcome go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What else do we know about brains and our ability to kind of intentionally harness creativity? Yeah. So I would say creativity in order to get there and get at optimal states, I would say a few things we can do to encourage that would be number one, slow, deep breaths. Like, you know, you know, you and I just did before this, which was nice, but you know, what that does is that kind of slows down our fear state so that we can turn on the newest part of our brain, which is the front part of our brain that helps us with our big decisions. It helps us with our perceptions. It helps us with our creativity. Those are what we will call executive function. So that's when we can see different things and put together patterns. We can remember some things we've seen from the past and think, oh, I'm going to make something new with what I saw before. So that when you're creative, a lot of times you're building on things you've seen or you're taking things from different sources and putting them all together. The only time we can get to a high creativity state is if we don't have fear. So we want to settle our bodies down by deep breaths, tell our body that we're safe. So we want to say, you know, keep reinforcing we're safe. There's nothing to be afraid of. We're going to try something new. Cause sometimes you'll get that little voice bubble up. Like you might not do a good job. You might, it might not be worth it. You know, you might be like kind of self-protecting and you might want to just take a deep breath and take that step where you're trying something new, you have a new idea, or you want to share it with your team. All of those are scary. You have to have trust. So first, you know, the brain is, you know, its primary role is what we would call self-preservation. 
of the brain and the body. So that's why that's why I'm saying I, I liken it to a you know a busy parent or you know busy factory. It's doing a lot of things every day. So if you wanted to also be creative or also to learn or also to connect with others, you have to give it extra support so it can because it's already very busy. So you can't ask a lot of it without giving it a little extra support. That's such an important reminder. One of the things that I haven't mastered, but I'm really trying to incorporate into my practice of just daily living instead of, you know, tacking it onto my morning routine is just having a little bit of breathwork between transitions. Mm -hmm. So I actually Mm -hmm. completely stop something, breathe, and then completely start something. And I think that it really does make a difference to do that throughout your day. So I just wanted to share that. that. Yeah, no, I think that's a great way physiologically because by sending your brain those chemicals, because right away with those deep breaths, you're sending your brain more oxygen, getting rid of the carbon dioxide. You, you're you telling your, we have neuro uh, like receptors in the back, especially in our brain stem, the back part of our brain. It's always sensing, like what's our balance between oxygen and carbon dioxide. So if you're breathing real short and fast, you'll have way more carbon dioxide. So the brain says, no, I'm nervous. Something's not right. I can't get, I can't turn on my good idea center. You know, I need to just keep my, I'm I'm on watch centers on, you know, so that's not your best creativity zone. So that's great. I think that's a really important way to just kind of reset or rebalance. I think some other ways we can intentionally do that also is we can, there, there are ways we can kind of manipulate our nervous system throughout our days. Um, one way is to, again, to turn on our parasympathetic centers, which is our more relaxation, like our rest and relaxation centers. The recommendation is three times a day to stop. If you have a furry pet, that works. You know, if you have a little person in the house, that probably will work quickly. If you have photos of a special time of your life, or even if you just recall, you know, you think back to a, a teacher that was really instrumental or a special family member. If you can kind of pull up kind of those gratitude centers that again, slows down the fear centers, turns on the higher level thinking. Those are ways to kind of manipulate your neural balance throughout the day, because we all go and we know we, we toggle between like focus, get it done, task oriented to hopefully some relaxation. But a lot of us just all day stay in, especially I'm in medicine. So most of our day we're focused task, get this done take care of what's in front of us. Don't miss anything. Look at all the details, but that's not our high perception zone, you know? So we, we need to intentionally kind of toggle back and forth in our day. And that's how we can do it. The deep breaths, you've, you've already mastered that. And then those other ways we can kind of pull in our, our gratitude centers or we call them positive emotional states or positive emotional emotion activators, furry pets, recall, those kind of things. Yeah. So let's say mm-hmm. you maybe do work a conventional work day or you're a, a harried mother, wherever you are, right, you right. just take a couple minutes and reflect on a positive emotion or gratitude or pet or something. You're tell me just a little bit more like what sure. that would actually yeah. look like in a day. Yeah. So you might, you know, that's why a lot of us probably already do this without being so intentional about it. Like, you know, we put pictures around our desks of people we love or really great memories or pictures on our phone. Those work too. But you want to take a good 10 minutes in a perfect world. If you could take 10 minutes, three times a day throughout your day to take a break, 
It will help your focus if you can toggle back and forth a little bit, get out of the focus zone and get into the more relaxation zone, which is our higher perception zone. Like we notice patterns, we can see we're more creative in that relaxation zone. But each day we're at least in the work day and usually at the home day as well, you know, you have, you're focused on details. It's not like you're daydreaming all day, most of mm-hmm. us, you know, so we have to actually get our work done, uh, which is fine. But three times a day, 10 minutes. Yes. To look at a picture, even just, like I said, you know, think about somebody you love, even write them a little note that would even go further than just even thinking of a teacher that you appreciated or an aunt or an uncle or a neighbor those kind of things is how you can manipulate your neural state throughout the day. Give us a quick science lesson here because you talk about your expertise and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's just, mm-hmm. it's fascinating to me. And it's kind of this psycho neuroimmunology intersection. Can you define that a little bit for right. listeners and, and just tell us a little bit about how that comes to life for you? Sure. Yeah. So I remember the first time I read that word in and when I was in medical school, I was like, Oh, how do those three things go together? You know, I was just like, it stopped me in my tracks. You know, I was just like, I want to know how those three things go together. Yeah. So I'm a neuroimmunologist by training. So I trained in neurology. So that's the study of the nervous system. And then I also did a fellowship in disease states that affect the immune system and the nervous system. So one of the diseases I frequently treat is called multiple sclerosis because that's an immune disease that affects the nervous system. So those go together. I mean, especially during living through a global pandemic, we've heard about how when we're stressed or tired, our immune system may not work as well. I think we've all seen that if we had a busy time in our lives, we've gotten colds more easily or something. So we knew that we we probably had examples or we've seen it in our kids or our loved ones that if they're busy or tired, they may get sick uh, with a cold or something. And so that's the psycho and immunology, you know, so that is, you know, the, your psychological state affecting your immune system. And we know those connections. And then when you say psycho neuroimmunology, then you're putting your psychological state, your nervous system and your immune system and how those three intersect. What we're learning, I could say in the disease state of multiple sclerosis that I treat that when people have a healthy emotional disposition, their disease states are are more positive. So, or the converse of that is if they have higher depression, they have more lesions on their brain of their disease, more immune activation of their disease. So we're not just one body system, as we all know, you know, we're not just our immune system or just our nervous system. All the systems interact and intersect I love that word because I feel like it gives power to our daily actions because we can influence that state by our daily actions. We're not just passively accepting everything. We can actually influence this each day with our daily actions, which I find very hopeful and motivating. I think that's inspiring too, because we all have genes, but I think it gives us the sense that there's a lot in our control compared to Mm -hmm. just defaulting to what's out of our control when it comes to our our health. 100%. Yes. Yes. There's a study in medicine called epigenetics. And so that's how, you know, the environment can affect the outcome of genes. Like you said, we do, our genes are fixed, you know, that's what we were given, what we were given, but it turns out the environment, 
and even meaning our body, like what we put into the body or around the body, on the body, and where, you know, the water and the air, all of those things may indeed affect the outcome of our genes, even though we have the same genes, you know. So some diseases that are highly genetic, sometimes, you know, even identical twins don't both get them, you know. So there's something in the environment as well that is active in some disorders. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think it's really empowering to think of what we can do day to day. We don't have to just sit back and wait for our genes to take effect because they're they're not alone. You know, they don't live alone. They live in our environment and we create the environment, you know, at least inside our bodies and a lot of it. And we have, we can influence things with our sleep state, like we talked about and our stress state and our nutritional state. So that, that just gives us a lot of power throughout our days. It's all interwoven. Some of my community was really curious about considerations for taking care of our brains as we age. Like what do we need more of whether, you know, across the board, whether it's nutritionally or just lifestyle. Cause I love that you acknowledge the whole living. Mm -hmm. So what's your best advice for aging well with your brain? Yeah, I think that there's so much still to be learned, like we talked about, but there was a big paper in a very impactful journal called The Lancet that listed 11 things that affect or probably influence our risk of a certain kind of dementia called vascular dementia. So that's related to our blood flow. Now, some of those things on the list, we would understand that are related to heart health. So we would understand that those are related like cholesterol and blood pressure and blood sugar. So I would, you know, strongly advise everybody to have a primary care doctor. So they're doing their preventative care because primary doctors will watch over those kind of things like blood pressure, blood sugar, et cetera. Uh, but then other things also that we have control over is the amount of alcohol we drink, you know, if we smoke. And then, you know, some, again, some of the fun things like connecting with your community, people who volunteer seem to have better longevity. So I would say, you know, if you're you know, some people who are strong introverts, you know, they say, well, I'm not, I don't like to be around people all the time. And that's fine. You know, we can honor that. But some people, you know, some of the literature suggests volunteering and just in, with one group in your community can dramatically change your health outcomes, your longevity, like how well you live as you age. So I would say, yeah, make sure you're dealing with like the risk factors that may be in your family genes, like we talked about, primary care doctor, and then learn from your primary doc, you know, what you need to do for nutrition, because nutrition, the brain is an organ and it's filled with building blocks of fat and protein and carbohydrates. And so knowing what it needs um, nutritionally, is very important. So yeah, we've seen some communities that have really great longevity. People live well. It's so funny. I just saw this video the other day of a 90 year old woman doing gymnastics. She literally was like, <laughs> doing like somersaults. She's 90. I mean, it was amazing. So some people just are just blessed with great genes. And then some people just live where they're always trying something new and staying active. That's the other thing I guess I would say is always be new at something, you know? So if you're willing to take a risk lately, I've been trying to learn dancing. I'm not a good dancer. I would never call myself a, you know, a good dancer, but I can learn. I can learn a little bit more about it or art, like you mentioned, you know, I can learn more about it. I can feel uncomfortable that I'm not good at it, but I can try it. So I, I believe in our neuroscience ability to be neuroplastic, it's called, you know, where we can make mm -hmm. things easier over time for us to do like riding a bike or something. We can, we know we can learn a skill. 
if we get over that fear back to that original conversation, what happens to our brain when we're trying to, I mean, why, why is it so literally good for the brains firing and wiring when we're doing something that's new? Yeah. It's so great. Yeah. To think about that. I always, you know, I think the school season just started, you know, a month or two ago. And I, I think that that's a great time to, again, think like, what does the brain need when you're new at something? So that's great for learners, teachers, you know, I, I hope that we're all lifelong learners. But yeah, again, think that the brain is always busy. It's already doing a lot of things. So if you want it also to learn a new skill, you have to give it some extra, I call it like TLC, or sometimes I call it like, treat it like a puppy, you know, so make sure that it gets good food that it has a comfy bed, that you give it a walk and that you take care of it. You get a new toy, you know, like, so that's like, you know, you care for it. You intentionally think about what you're doing with that. You would never just be like, I hope you get some nutrition today. You know, you wouldn't, I hope if you had a new puppy or a new kitten. You wouldn't just leave it to chance. You would put some time into it because you want to develop it. Same thing with the brain. The brain is made of billions of nerves. Like we all have billions. Nobody actually knows how many, but some people have said 10 billion. Some people have said a hundred billion. So if you can adjust a couple nerves, I mean, wouldn't that be amazing that you can make something easier? So yeah, the fear, the fear is usually the brain saying, look, I'm already busy. I don't really have the energy or the metabolism to do this. So that's why I'm saying you give it a little bit of extra support uh, if you wanted to learn something new. And it'll, it'll be a little, we all know that like, you know, in the morning when you're, I'm a more of a morning person. So if I want to do something new, I I plan it in the morning. I wouldn't plan something at 11 PM. You know, that wouldn't be my best time. Yeah. So we just have to take care of it. I always think of a cute little puppy that makes it worth it for me. (laughs) I love that image because nobody would neglect their puppy. Right. Right. All right. I'm running with that one. Before we wrap up, I know we're coming up on time, but I love to learn and I, you know, you brain health. Hey, we just talked about the importance of learning and I'm, I'm just, I'd love to hear like one or two other areas of research or study in the area of brains that are just catching your attention right now that you think are promising and super interesting. If you're willing to share anything. Yeah. There's some neuroscientists um, from the Harvard area that have been researching emotions. And it's so interesting that when they say, we think we see a face and we can tell you what emotion that is. Like if I look at your face, I'm like, oh, that obviously means blah, you know, X emotion. Well, people really can't predict very easily what your face is saying. And they've tried this in different cultures, different genders, different age. It didn't matter. We were very poor at predicting the emotion the person was feeling. And they were talking about it in one sense, like in the legal sense, you know, if you're, if you're saying you're in a court of law, it looks like they didn't have any remorse or something because you could tell by their face. Well, you can't tell by their face is what they were saying. So it's very interesting. So I would say, don't assume somebody has a certain emotion when you're looking at their face because people have, that's very interesting. You know, we're not good at guessing someone else's emotional state. And I think same thing for ourselves personally, I would say to know your emotional setting. Again, it doesn't matter what other people think, but you knowing your own emotional setting, it's kind of like that 10 minute, three time a day thing I was talking about earlier. If you do some emotional assessment for the next week or two, like three times a day, you write down three emotions you're feeling. You might see that your emotions are linked to your neurometabolism, like how well you're fed, if you're hungry, you're tired. You may say, I feel sad. 
but you might also notice it's like four o'clock in the afternoon and you're just hungry, you know, or tired. So it's very interesting, the power we give emotions, but indeed our sensation of our own emotions and our determining other people's emotions is not accurate. It's not very accurate is what this researcher was saying, especially assessing someone else's, but knowing our own emotional state, there's a lot of power there because healthy living is associated with knowing your own emotional state because some of our actions we do to try to get rid of some emotions. And if you knew that your emotions change throughout the day, just naturally, you wouldn't have to do those things to adjust your emotions, like shopping, eating too much, hiding, emotionally isolating. Sometimes we take on actions to change or hide our emotions. That's just very interesting. So I would say if you want to start there, take a little post-it, write down three emotions three times a day, just see where you are. I was very surprised, but it makes complete sense. Mine are usually negative at the end of the day, like, you know, at the end of my work day. Of course. That's really interesting. Of course, because I'm tired yeah. and angry. You know? Yeah. Like, of course. Yeah. It's not that I'm mad at a person or I'm angry at something. I'm just tired and hungry, you know? So, and I'm so glad that you're bringing this up because when I back at one point in my life where I was working at a very high stress job and had two children under two, I would feel sometimes like I was having a great day. And I'd get home and my interactions with my spouse all of a sudden would be snippy. And I'm like, oh my God, he's the person who's most, you know, one of the most important people. Like, why is he getting this side of me? But it's right. almost like right. my brain had given all it had to give energetically right. to the rest of the world. Right, right, right. So hundred percent, right? We already said the brain's been busy. It's busy, you know, Yeah, we have so to I keep lo- supporting it. Yeah. Well, I like yeah, that. I I'm just going to repeat that back. Cause I want, yeah. I, I'm, I love trying new things. And I think anytime we can even just slow down and be aware in that, be aware, yeah. mm-hmm. just aware, so, aware, just aware. Just but aware. also I like that it's three times a day, simple post it, because then you might, you, like you said, you might be like, oh my gosh, at four o'clock every day, I'm in a major dip. So maybe that's not the right. time where you call your spouse right. and try to make plans. Maybe that's when you go for right. your little five minute break or walk and right. you just know. So I love self-awareness tools. So thank you for sharing that. That's Absolutely. a really neat practice. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we are at time, but I always close with the same question. And that is what's one question women should be asking themselves more. I would say, where are you? And women tend to do this, but I would say, where are you serving others? Like what means something to you? Because that's usually what gives us psychological rewards. Like I I like to work on equity, let's say. So I work on gender equity or socioeconomic equity, and I am glad to do any kind of service in that area because it means something to me. So, so work on, you know, making a difference in the world, if you want to say, even if it's a step at a time, because psychologically, it's very rewarding, especially if that's one of your strong values. Sometimes work doesn't feel like it's hitting it for you. Like you feel like, I think I need to move on. Sometimes it's not jiving with your values. So I would say know your values and then work on a project, either at work or outside of work, according to that value. And then life feels psychologically very much more rewarding. Love that place to end. Thank you so much for joining me today. My honor. Mm-hmm. 
I'm so glad you joined me today. If you're looking for more, feel free to connect with me on Instagram at, at @whitneywoman. And if you enjoyed the show, I invite you to support me by leaving a review or sharing it with a friend. Hope you have an inspired day.